All right, welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Thursday night, October 29th, the year of our Lord, 2020. Get those Halloween preparations underway, people, if you haven't already. We've got several predictions on the show tonight. Colin, I think we're breaking down like five more games. We've already got Auburn LSU done. LSU Auburn, say the visitor first. We also did Ohio State Penn State the other night. Those game previews are already on the channel if you want to see them. We're going to retouch on Ohio State Penn State tonight because I went back and watched the show and I realized I didn't even say like half of what I wanted to in that preview. So not only are we going to re-hit that game, I've also got a totals bet that I'm going to hand out in the Auburn LSU game. We have got so much to react to. It's kind of like an off-season to lead the show in a sense because normally once we get into the season, we're just talking about games. And we're going to talk about Texas-Oklahoma State tonight, but we've got to talk about a lot of other things going on with Texas. Those of you with your ear to the ground know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't, stay tuned. You'll know in like two minutes. Also, best bets. We are 61.2% against the number so far this year. we got five more big ones coming your way tonight. And a final reminder before we start the show, if you haven't already, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to this here 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. We are over 33,000 and counting, which is big, Colin, because a few months ago we were at like 6,000 when we started doing the show. So really good growth, but I think we can do better. You know, why not get like a million? Probably can't get it done by the end of this weekend. Could be one week, could be two weeks, but let's aim for that. Even if we fall short, we'll probably still reach a pretty lofty goal. Speaking of goals, the goal at Texas to win a national championship, right? I think that's fair to say as I look around a room that's empty. I think it's fair to say that the goal at Texas should be nothing short of competing for national championships. Well, you remember on October 10th, when we were leading into that weekend of October 10th at least, and the Red River shootout was coming up, and it was the Oklahoma-Texas one team really wants to win, the other team has to win sort of deal, and that's how we framed it, and I framed it that way for a reason. I rarely talk about must-win games. I save that phrase to use only in the most intentional manners. Well, I was intentional that week. And I told you, I think Tom Herman, I think Texas and Tom Herman, they have to win this game. It'd be nice if Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma could, but Texas has to win the game. Well, they didn't win the game. That has consequences. As I told you, I'm not some dude who's going to say they got to win the game, and then they lose, and I say... Well, dust it off, try again next week. No, I thought that set a ball in motion that's eventually going to lead to coaching changes at the head coaching position and below at Texas. Still believe that. That's only been furthered by the events of the last 48 hours. We'll get into that in just a second. But I also want to tell you, because I don't think I went down this road in totality the week of that game. We just didn't have time. There were a lot of whispers. Those of you, if you're a member over at Horns 24-7, I, I'm sure the guys and girls over there were talking about that. But there were whispers in the recruiting industry that the negative recruiting had really been on the uptick against Texas. And listen, for lack of a better term, I say negative recruiting because I don't even think it's negative recruiting if you and I are going heads up for a kid. You're Texas and I'm anyone else. And I walk in your living room and I say, hey, they're not doing so hot. Look at their record. Look at the kind of discombobulated nature in which the entire program is operating. Football team in front of your eyes on Saturday, behind the scenes. Do you really think Tom Herman's going to be there for a long time? I don't even think that's all that unfair. So I, I don't even know that that's all that negative unless you consider reality to be negative. Reality right now is a negative for Texas. So if you present the reality, maybe that is negative recruiting. So all the while, now here's the other backstory. As they lost the Oklahoma game, it went from kind of a trickle, trickle, trickle to a flood of negative recruiting. And all of a sudden, it became the overwhelming majority that thought it's not a matter of if anymore, but when Tom Herman's going to be gone there. So then, 
I would present that to some some of my Texas buddies back home and, and a few that I even know here, and I would get this response. It wasn't even necessarily that this was their argument, maybe some of them, but others were playing devil's advocate. And so when I would suggest that, Texas may be moving on from Herman at the end of the year, I would get this in return. Well, you can't upset the recruiting class. I mean, look at their upcoming recruiting class and, and this was the 2022 firewall, as it became known in these circles, at least on Late Kick, the 2022 firewall was Quinn Ewers. The firewall has fallen, people. Quinn Ewers decommitted from Texas yesterday. Mike Roach put out a very, very comprehensive update on this yesterday afternoon. Let me give you a little timeline. I was running this by Colin. So yesterday afternoon, Mike Roach over on Horns 24-7 essentially tells you what's coming in a guarded language because he had to use that. But he essentially, he, he telegraphed all of this. It was coming. They're very dialed in over there if you haven't already noticed. And so I tweeted that article. Some dude, sure enough, pops up under there and says, this is just clickbait. About five minutes later, Quinn Ewers decommits. Uh, that dude, suspiciously nowhere to be found, suspiciously absent. So sometimes that clickbait, it can become real in quite a hurry. Quinn Ewers decommits. In the last minute, let me turn the paper sideways. I had to write it sideways. Faison Wilson, four-star wide receiver for the 2022 class, already decommitted. Uh, so that's two in 24 hours. Don't know where that ends. But Ewers was monumental. Now, that is a tsunami as much as one player can equal. That's a big deal. That's a very big deal. I thought it was a red flag, to be honest with you, when they couldn't lock down the Brockermeyer twins, among others. And those are legacy recruits in Fort Worth, Texas, that Texas cannot get to stay home. Those kids grew up looking for any reason to play for Texas. They're committed to Alabama. They're going to sign with Alabama in December. So previously, I was told, hey, you can't fire Tom Herman. Can't get rid of him because of recruiting. I don't have anyone telling me that anymore. So I'm searching now. Anyone out there who wants to remain in the devil's advocate category I want you to tell me, what's the argument? Because that one's irrelevant. I mean, recruiting is leaking. It is leaking, leaking, leaking really bad right now. Ewers also, according to Mike Roach, after he decommitted, he shared this little tidbit. I don't know if you guys read this. I know you guys probably in uh, Longhorn Circles did. Mike Roach said not only did he decommit, but he had been told Quinn Ewers was discussing with other players and Texas commits about his decision-making ahead of time. That's not good, friends. That's no bueno. So then I go back over, as, I'm, as I was about to walk over to the building, we do the show in a different building than our office is in, and so I had to walk through the whatever's happening outside, a tropical depression at this point. And so right before I did that, I was checking out Chip Brown's update. Uh, Bobby Burton put one up over there. So a lot of folks really close to the Texas program. Now, Chip Brown's just quoting what people have told him. So this is not a knock on Chip Brown. He did phenomenal reporting on this. But I want to read you a quote from the Insider article. You can check out the whole thing over on Horns 24-7. This is a quote from a high-placed source in Austin. Saturday's game at Oklahoma State and really every game left on the schedule is an indicator of where this program is. And I look at that. And I think to myself, are you serious? There's someone out there who has a fully functioning brain and working eyeballs that after all this still needs an indicator? Like this Saturday is going to show this person something that they don't already know? You've got recruits fleeing their home state of Texas left and right. The culture is a mess. Uh, you've got chronic penalty and turnover issues. Procedurally, they are a joke in big games and in games they're favored by double digits in. There's zero consistency week to week in the program. And Oklahoma just came in there, benched their starting quarterback during the middle of their rivalry game against you 
and still found a way to win. You were having to come from behind to even try and force overtime against them. So if those aren't indicators, I don't know what in the world is going to happen Saturday that's an indicator short of Tom Herman walking out and just saying, I give up and waving a literal white flag. What is the absolute best case? Again, for people who are still on the fence here, this is not my program. This is your program. You guys have ownership in it. I don't. I'm just standing here in Nashville, and I'm looking over there, and I'm watching, and I'm wondering, what is the best case? For, for people who are still in the Herman camp, that's great. That's fine. you got an opinion same as mine. Yours is probably worth more than mine. You're an actual Texas fan. But I just want to ask you, what is the best case? If you were to have things go 10 out of 10, best case scenario, I want you to think about what that would mean long term for Tom Herman at Texas. Just you define it, whatever best case is. And then picture that, and then I still want you to be honest with me. Is it even close to Alabama and Nick Saban? Is it even close to Ryan Day in Ohio State? Is it even close to Dabo and Clemson in one of their normal years? Because every year is elite for those programs. So their normal is elite. Is their best case at Texas with Tom Herman? Is the best case elite at this point? Have you ever seen any indication of that? Have you ever seen an indication that consistency in excellence would be the hallmark of that program under Tom Herman. I haven't. So I'm asking you, I, I don't think anyone has seen it. I want to know where would it come from? It's got to come from someplace that we haven't seen before. Now, my read on Chip's story, I read you that quote there, but that was a quote. My own individual read on Chip's story was, I don't think Tom Herman, he doesn't have success on the field first off. And off the field, it's very obvious he doesn't have the same crew of high-level net worth individuals, or as you might know them, donors and boosters, slapping him on the back after these losses, as Mac Brown did during the darker times for him in Austin. That's how he was able to weather the storm. That's why, among other reasons, I don't believe Tom Herman will be able to. But you got the losing, you got the bad mismanagement and mishandling, perceived or reality, of the whole Eyes of Texas situation, and not being particularly loved by the right people I don't know where that equity is. Like, I don't know. There's a lot on this side of the scale. I don't know what balances that out. So I think, based on what I was reading from Chip, I think it just validates what I thought going into the Oklahoma game. This was decided that afternoon. Decisions weren't finalized. There, there weren't moves made that afternoon. But you mark my words, when we see how this thing ends for Texas this year, and ultimately we're getting ready for the start of the 2021 season, whatever they look like at that point, that will have been precipitated by the loss to Oklahoma, among other things, on October 10th, the year of our Lord, 2020. All right, we got games to actually talk about this weekend. Now, as I said, we did our Ohio State-Penn State breakdown on the Tuesday night show, and we did everything that you would want to know, but yet I don't think we did everything I wanted to know, or at least everything I wanted to say, because I listened to it and I said, ah, you left a lot of meat on the bone there. So let's chew the rest of the meat off the bone. Let's, uh, let's lick it clean here. Ohio State is, as of tonight, still about a 12-point favorite on the road against Penn State. That's the 7.30, yeah, 7.30 Eastern game on ABC. I want to kind of draw parallels between this game and the Georgia-Alabama game a couple of weeks ago. Because it seems like every time we have one of these few elite teams, Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, essentially, it seems like every time we have one of those teams play a legitimate challenger, someone they're going to be less than a two-touchdown favorite against, in other words, there are these same list of questions that people pull out of their back pocket. And they unfold the paper, and it says, hmm, is the gap closing? Okay, that's one of the quotes. 
And that's the question that everyone wants to know about this one. Is the gap closing? You know, is, is recruiting getting better for Penn State? How wide is the gap? I never pay attention to the gap until quarterback is solved. And I don't know that quarterback, uh, I don't know that you would describe that position as having been solved in this matchup against Ohio State. So go back to that buildup, the Georgia-Alabama buildup. All that talk all week, we contributed to it. We talked about it on this show too. All that talk about roster comparisons and um, Georgia, you know, in the team talent composite, they had pulled even, maybe even slightly ahead of Alabama. There were all sorts of position matchups and position breakdowns. And yet, what happened? When we got to Saturday, what happened? All of that, a lot of it was true. There was a lot of validity in it. It's happening here, too. It's happening in this, because you could look at the Penn State-Ohio State matchup, and you could say, you know, you got Wilson, you got Olave, like that's a really good, they got a really good wide receiver core at Ohio State. And then you could look, and you could look in the secondary, and you could say, hey, Penn State, probably the best set of defensive backs, at least that Ohio State will face, at least in the regular season in the Big Ten. I don't argue with that. I don't take much issue with that. You could say this combination of their offensive line at Ohio State, obviously Justin Fields, this passing game, like that is an elite combination. But then you could also say, well, you know what? Penn State's got a lot of depth and versatility along the defensive line. That linebacker core can get after the quarterback. Ohio State didn't show the ability to tear away chunks of yards in the run game in week one. I think Nebraska had a lot to do with that. And so you could come up with all this matchup stuff you want to. Those things all have shades of truth to them. But now I kick it back to that Georgia-Alabama game, and it taught us it's probably going to come down to quarterback. Uh, you could dumb this stuff down so much if you just about eight times out of ten in these bigger matchups said, hey, who's got the better quarterback? I think I'll just take that team. Can't promise they'll always cover. Can't promise they'll always win. But I think common sense would tell you uh, it gives you a little bit more advantage than just, well, I, you know what? I really like the outside linebackers versus the slot receivers and ability to really control the perimeter here. Like, great. I mean, that may happen. It could happen and you still get beat by 17 points. So the gap, yeah, the gap's there. But man, even if they had closed the gap, even if the rosters were a lot more comparable, um, going to come down to quarterback in all likelihood. Now, here's what's interesting to me. And we kind of touched on this the other night, but I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into it. What's interesting to me is if you're Penn State, if you're Kirk Sharaka and that offensive staff, how do you think, how, what do you think is the best way to approach this offensively? What gives you the best chance to win? Because you can go two schools of thought here. You can either look at it and you can say, all right, they got a lot of explosive elements over there on their offense. We want to keep them off the field. We want to play ball control. We want to play keep away. And so we want to bleed clock, but at the same time, you got that option. Or you got the other option. You could look over there and say, yeah, they're loaded, but man, that's a green secondary. Yeah, they're loaded, but they're not exactly proven along that defensive line. Maybe our best shot here is to do the inverse of what we did against Indiana. And let's run some tempo on them. And let's count on being able to manufacture some confusion in their secondary. And let's get our yards and let's get our potential points that way. You know the risk there. I'm not so sure the reward makes sense a little bit more in the second category because if, if you tell me that you're just going to try to slow bleed Ohio State to death, if you tell me you're going to try and suffocate them, I'm going to tell you you're going to have a long evening ahead of you. I don't care where you're playing. I don't care how many people are there. You're going to have a long afternoon. I think they got to try something offensively, philosophically, pretty radically different than they did last week. And to be honest with you, I think that probably was in the cards, even if they had won last week. I don't think it's going to be a desperation reaction to losing. I just think philosophically, they probably look at this and say, this gives us our best chance to win. 
How about some other week nine predictions, shall we? We've got one, two, three, four. I got five games for you here. So let's roll into this. And remember, if you want to see the prediction videos for the Ohio State-Penn State game, the LSU-Auburn game, those are already available on the channel. Let's start in Lexington, Kentucky. Georgia is a 16.5 point favorite at Kentucky. That line, I think, a little while ago probably moved to 17 in a lot of places. Uh, this is a Saturday noon Eastern time kickoff on SEC Network. Here's a question for you. Last time you saw Georgia, you remember when it was? It was all the way back in that Alabama game. They had some games moved around. Well, a game moved around. And so you have not seen them since then. How are they going to look coming out of a bye? Because I can tell you how Kentucky's about to look. Pretty motivated. They come off a pretty humiliating defeat at the hands of Missouri. We're going to see Joey Gatewood get his first start. That was made official today, rumored all week. Terry Wilson not able to go Saturday. So Joey Gatewood, the Auburn transfer, going to get the start for Mark Stoops and company. Now, a couple of things that I think it's pretty safe to assume here if you're Kirby Smart. Kentucky is probably only beating you if you turn the ball over. Uh, that's been Kentucky's MO this year. When they force turnovers, they win. When they don't, got a little bit tougher time. Here's the second thing that I think you can assume if you're Georgia. This offense has to expand and diversify, not to beat Kentucky, but you got Florida coming up. You eventually maybe have another matchup with Alabama coming up. So you can either choose to look at this Kentucky game as a one-game season, or you can come out of your bye week trying to put a new foot forward here. And we have no reason to believe JT Daniels is going to shock everyone and run out of that tunnel Saturday and start. Crazier things have happened, of course. But regardless, I was told irregardless has been added to the Webster's Dictionary, actually. So why not? Let's use it. Irregardless. Oh, it still feels weird. Regardless of which quarterback plays, don't they have to open things up a little bit, but then you kick it back and you say, well, if you do, hey, you're probably giving Kentucky the only real shot they'd have because defensively you can shut them down. We are going to have a play on this one a little bit later on. I'm going to give you the prediction. Now, I'm going to take Georgia to win. We're going to take Georgia to cover, and I'm not done talking about this game, so stay tuned later in the show. How about Texas at Oklahoma State? We already touched on Texas in a very general sense. Oklahoma State's a three-point favorite. This is the Saturday 3 p.m. Eastern time game. This is on Big Fox. Our numbers, i got to be honest with you because we're not going to do anything with this number, but our numbers, our model, circled Texas. It, our model loves Texas this week. It loved LSU last week, and we didn't jump on it, and we kicked ourselves. But that's variance. That could mean nothing. We are not going to jump on Texas as an official play this week, even though our model is screaming at us and will figuratively backhand slap us if we don't. Several guessing Several, several folks guessing this line. Several folks kind of second-guessing this line, as I saw this week leading up to picking the game tonight. And they were saying, you know what? What in the world? I mean, what, what am I not seeing here? What does Vegas know that I don't know? We've, on one hand, got a program that looks to be a disaster behind the scenes. And then, on the other hand, we've got an Oklahoma State program that is undefeated. It's the Big 12's best shot at a college football playoff contender. And, well, now they're only a three-point favorite against Texas. Well, I just want to tell you this. It's okay to just back away from one, guys. It's okay to just watch. You don't have to have it figured out. But I do want to remind you of something. Last week, the odds makers had these two teams pretty well pegged down. Texas was favored by 11 against Baylor. They won 27 to 16. Oklahoma State was favored by three and a half against my clones, Iowa State. They won 24-21. So they had them pretty well nailed down last week. Let me mute the laptop there. You do with that information what you want to. Quarterback is finally not a question, at least in terms of who's going to start for Oklahoma State. Spencer Sanders is back, had a touchdown pass, a couple of interceptions last week. Let's just assume he knocked his rust off. Secondly, 
this Texas defensive line figures to be a little bit of a matchup issue here. So I don't necessarily envision Oklahoma State moving the ball up and down the field. They really haven't been that all year. This is a game, again, it's kind of a kind of a, a style clash in terms of what you used to be used to seeing Oklahoma State do. They'll lean on defense. They'll be totally fine doing that. Dare I say, Mike Gundy will be comfortable punting if he needs to. I do dare say that. Pa- possessions are going to be at a premium Saturday. And so I want you to ask yourself, because I already asked myself this. This is why I kicked our model to the curb on this game. In a game where possessions are at a premium, maybe you got midway through a fourth quarter, a tight game, one possession, who do you trust to be more disciplined? Who do you trust to be more procedurally sound? Who do you trust to grab a competitive game late? That answer is not Texas for me. I'm, I'm just, I hate to tell you, that's not Texas. I think it's Oklahoma State. I'll take the Cowboys to win, and I will take them to cover. Missouri is at Florida Saturday. Keep in mind, Georgia-Florida is next week. If you need another indication of why those lines may be a bit lower than you think they should be, Missouri's at Florida. Florida is favored by 13. This is a 7.30 Eastern time kickoff on either SEC Network or like one of the alternate channels they have there. Defense should be much improved. I'm saying that only because it just stands to reason. Couldn't get much worse, and you've had a three-week layoff, but I do want to stress For those of you unfamiliar with how this whole thing works behind the scenes, it's not like Florida has been getting after it on the practice field. They just had their first practice in two weeks, Monday. So they haven't been on the practice field working every day. I'm sure they've tried to get some mental reps in. I'm sure they've been going back and forth on Zoom meetings. I don't know necessarily how much improvement it's fair for me to expect here, but yet I still do expect it, and I hope I see it. Now, the question mark here is on the offensive side. Because I think a lot of a lot of you, at least according to the predictions I've looked at, a lot of you are kind of assuming, well, this Florida offense will pick up right where it left off. Maybe it will. But we've also observed teams that have had to inadvertently take a few weeks off, sometimes they have a little rust issue. Fortunately for Florida, Missouri probably not an offense that's going to run away from you, even if you have struggles early. But I'll tell you what they do, Missouri. What they do is they force you to be assignment sound. And that's not necessarily been the hallmark of Florida defensively this year so far. If they can be assignment sound, they got the athletes to uh, put fairly tight clamps on Missouri. If they don't, they can make you look foolish. They did it to LSU. They can make you look foolish. That offense at Missouri, I still feel like it has a second gear that they haven't necessarily hit yet with Connor Basilak at quarterback. It's a top 30 passing offense. I don't need to tell you what Florida's passing defense has done this year so far. Which first is more likely, I guess, is my question for this game. Is it more likely that Florida's defense has a standout performance? Is it more likely that Missouri's offense has a standout performance? I leaned Florida here, and our model backs it up. It's not a strong lean, but I took Florida, and I ended up taking Florida minus 13. Not officially. I wouldn't put a dime on this game, but that's the way we lean here. How about Arkansas at Texas A&M? We certainly had a strong lean in this game. It's another Saturday, 7.30 Eastern time kick on SEC Network. Classic good news, bad news situation here for Arkansas. The good news is right now the Hogs are third in all of FBS at 13 turnovers forced. That's great. That's wonderful. What did we tell you last week when we were picking against Kentucky? We do not believe there is any skill in predicting carryover of turnover margin. There's just not week to week. So it's great. When you force them, it is wonderful. You don't count on that showing up every week. You're going to get burned by it. The way Arkansas competes in this game is not by forcing turnovers. If that happens, that's a bonus. That's a cherry on top. And I'm not hating on them defensively at all. I'm just telling you, 
Felipe Franks has got to win this game for Arkansas. That's how that's going to have to happen. Now, I can tell you our numbers love Texas A&M. They're coming out of a bye. They're rested. And so, I mean, you know, Arkansas as well. But I love Texas A&M in this game. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I think it is a very, very good bye spot for them. Not only are we taking A&M to win, we're taking A&M to cover. We got it at minus 10 and made it our best bet of the week. And again, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Finally here, Notre Dame minus 20 at Georgia Tech. Not going to break the game down. I just wanted to point out some situationals here because our numbers love Georgia Tech this week. Yeah, we're taking the uh, Jackets plus 20 here. We're taking Notre Dame to win outright. But it's one of those back-to-back road spots. They looked ultra impressive. Did Notre Dame on the road against Pitt last week. And now they're back out on the road. They also have that Clemson game on deck. So if you figure to try and pick out a less than ideal performance, maybe a little bit of a sloppy, get through it type game, a sleeper. This is probably it for Notre Dame. I think that's what our model picked up on. So we took Notre Dame to win, but we took Georgia Tech plus 20. And those are our picks for week nine of the college football season. Now for our official plays to wrap the show up as we do this time every Thursday, here we go. The Ramen Noodle Express is currently chugging along at just above 61% on the season. We don't want to rest there. We want to be perfect every week, and um, we're going to try and do it again this week. So I already handed out some of these. I want to remind you, make sure you're following me on Twitter. I'm going to tell you exactly why when I get to the end of this. You already missed some value today if you're not following me there. As I told you Sunday night, our best bet, this is not to be valued above the other plays, by the way. It just is the first one we handed out. Texas A&M minus 10. I want to reiterate, I do not encourage you to handpick these. I do not encourage you to value one over the other. I encourage you to either take none of them or take all of them, get them at the numbers we give them to you at, and bet them equally. Otherwise, I have people come complaining to me afterwards, and I say, what do you, we went four and two today. What are you complaining about? So anyway, Texas A&M minus 10, Georgia Tech plus 20. These are numbers we already gave you. Here are the, here are the games that I handed out today. LSU versus Auburn. We wanted to get 65 and a half. That's why we waited and we didn't take anything Tuesday night. We got the number we wanted. We're taking the under at 65 and a half. I think there is a chance that the run pass ratios in that game for both teams are very disproportionate and amount of total possessions as a result is not high enough to get that thing over. We'll see. Georgia minus 16 and a half and Louisville plus three and a half. Now, let me talk to you for a second about this Georgia game. That Georgia game I gave out earlier this afternoon. It started to move. I wanted to get it before it hit 17. I handed it out on Twitter at Late Kick Josh. If you were following me, you got it. You got it in. You're good. If you didn't, it's sitting at 17 right now. And while we still like it at 17, we got Georgia winning by, I think, 21-ish. Even though we still like it at 17, we gave it out at 16 and a half. Obviously, a lot more line value there. So in summary, Texas A&M minus 10, Georgia Tech plus 20. LSU Auburn under 65 and a half. We're taking Louisville plus three and a half. They're at home against Virginia Tech. And we are taking the Georgia Bulldogs minus 16 and a half on the road against Kentucky. There is a very sneaky good late afternoon slate this weekend. I know there are a lot of big games on deck this time next week. We'll be all in on Georgia, Florida. We'll be all in on Notre Dame, Clemson. But I mean, think about what Arkansas has the capability of doing this weekend. Think about potentially the unforeseen mid-fourth quarter upset alerts you could get with Missouri, Florida, or Kentucky, Georgia. What happens either way in that LSU-Auburn game? 
I was doing radio with Mark Ryan today on ESPN Upstate, and I used a WrestleMania 17 reference. Remember it vividly. One of the best pre-match buildups of all time. And as you've got Steve Austin and The Rock walking down the corridor in the Houston Astrodome to the ring, you got Paul Heyman saying, this is the time. It's the match that both men need to win, and neither man can afford to lose. That was only 19 years ago. So the point is, neither man can afford to lose that game. They both want to win it. Neither one of them can afford to lose it. What are they saying about Ed Orgeron if he's already lost three games before he even plays Florida or Alabama? What are they saying about Gus Malzahn if he loses a game Saturday? I can tell you what they'd be saying. They'd be saying, you ought to be one in five. You're, we're like a one in five team right now. And that would be his own fan base, not to mention what everyone else would say. So could be a sleepwalker of a Saturday. I tend to think it's far more likely we have a lot of right now unforeseen drama coming Saturday. The skill, or lack thereof, is don't really know where it's going to be. So that's why we're going to be here Sunday night for you to break it all down. Also, make sure you follow me on Twitter. We have a lot of fun there on Saturdays. I'm not necessarily a full game live tweeter, but I drop in there. I drop a, a few dozen comments probably on Saturday. Not to mention, we may not be done with our official best bets for this weekend. Frequently, I'll put something out on Friday or Saturday morning. No guarantees, but follow me just in case it happens. At Late Kick Josh. For Director Colin, for Tani and Jordan on the podcast side, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks for watching Late Kick Live. Have a great weekend and God bless.